The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Some sermons take weeks and weeks to prepare, and you don't even know it. Some messages from God's Word mean so much that it's overwhelming. And it's like, it's like having a child in your arms. For me, this is one of those sermons. The embryo for this message that I'm about to deliver to you was implanted in my heart and my mind Gee, this spring. I learned that a good friend of mine, a, a fellow pastor, and actually one of the, one of the men who I, I worked with when I was in my seminary years was diagnosed with ALS. Now, I don't know if, if any of you know very much about that disease, but it is one of the most dreadful, worst diseases known to man. I, I encourage you to, to look it up on the internet and read a little bit about it. And if it moves you to give to the cause, the ALS Association, or and certainly pray for any victims of this disease and their families. I have never been so scared after finding out about this disease and how close it has hit in my life, like these last couple of months. And really, if I'm honest with you, I needed some counseling. I needed healing. Fast forward to this past week. And uh, I'm sitting in a little cafe here nearby with a very dear and lovely woman who has a very debilitating illness herself. And she has had surgery after surgery. And kind of like the woman that we're going to meet today in our gospel, she hasn't gotten better but worse. But it was here that the Lord matured this message for me as he brought me face to face with his healing power. And she asked me one question, and as I reflect back, because she's considering becoming a member of our congregation, she asked me one question that, upon reflection, I am certain this is the most important question to her about our church and about our belief. She asked me, does your church believe, does your church think and teach that there is healing, that God heals people when you pray to him? And the hidden question behind her query was, is there healing for me? Man, oh man, do I have an answer for her and for you and for me and for anybody on the face of this planet who hungers for healing and thirsts to be well in every way that there is to be well and to be healed. Are you ready for some healing? Are you ready for good health? Mark chapter 5.
When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came to him. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, every penny, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita, kum, which means... Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. They call him the great intruder of life. Great interrupter. I call him the great burglar. Sickness, illness of body and mind. Uninvited, he breaks into your home, to your life, to the bodies and minds of the very people that you love, and he puts his grubby, greedy hands on everything that you prize. And in a world where sin entered through one man's otherwise, he, this was a healthy man, but his otherwise healthy man, his disobedience, in a world of this kind of brokenness, there is no security system on the face of the planet that can keep this burglar out. And Mark makes that point so very clear in the two lives that he introduces to us in our gospel today. 
I want you to think about two ends of a social spectrum. And on the one end, you have a man who, by all accounts, needs no introduction. Jairus, the synagogue ruler. When, when Mark tells us his name and gives us his prof profession, he wants us to know that this man is well-known, he is well-loved, and he is well-to-do. And he is a, a, a productive and a valuable and key and important member of his church and of his society. And this man, he is a man of God, and he has been richly blessed by God because 12 years earlier, 12 years earlier, he and his wife brought home their bundle of joy, a healthy baby girl. And I tell you this, that yeah, there were nights when mom and dad stayed up late at night because little girl was sick and she was vomiting and she had the flu and the cold, but they took good care of her. And for the most part, the mornings would come and mom would stand over their baby daughter and she would just, she would just delight as she watched her sleep and then she would do what mom does and she would lean over and touch her and rouse her and wake her in the way that was so common at the time. Talita, kum, kum, sweetheart, rise and shine, time to get up. And for the most part of these 12 years, she would. But then came that night when that dastardly, deadly germ broke in through the window. And mom walked in that morning. And she said, Talita, kum. Talita, Jairus, call the doctor. She's burning up. Somebody help. And on the other end of the social spectrum is this woman who has no name. Well, well, she does, but we just don't know what it is. She's literally a nameless, faceless Jane Doe lost in the crowd. And we can't make much out of her. We can't, we can't see the features of her face. We, we can hardly see anything at all about the only thing that is visible to us is a single solitary hand that is reaching out, but we can't even tell which one is hers among all of the palms and all of the fingers reaching and clawing for Jesus. This woman is misanonymous to Jairus's prominence. She is broke to Jairus's big bucks. Where Jairus is a, a productive and valuable member and well-beloved member of society, she's about as well-respected as a panhandler on a freeway overpass, and she is not even allowed inside of church because her illness, the one that she has, has rendered her ceremonially, ritually unclean according to the Jewish law. And so she is shunned, and she is ostracized. And 12 years earlier, right about the time when Jairus and his wife were bringing home their bundle of joy, illness broke into her home, and she started bleeding and for the 12 years that the little girl was alive, she could not stop. And she had nothing but misery. And, and so you have two lives on both ends of the spectrum. And what Mark would have us know is that no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, 
You cannot and you will not keep sickness of body, of mind, outside of your home, outside of your lives, outside of the home and the lives of the very people that you love. He will break in. He will break in and he will put his hands on everything and every part of you. And if, if it isn't clear by now, and we may not want to say it out loud, we just need to. You and I and the people we love one day are going to get sick. Really, really sick. Does your church believe in healing? Is there a healing for me? That is one of the most important questions in life. Because I want you to think about everything that this burglar robs from you. Sickness comes into your home and it steals. It just snatches away any sense of control that you have over life, even of, over your own body. I mean, how helpless do you think that Jairus and his wife felt as they watched their daughter decline and they could do nothing about it? And all they were reduced to were just observers of their daughter's death. How helpless do you think that woman felt trying everything in her power to get better for 12 years and nothing? You know what it was like? It's kind of like, like driving on an icy patch of road during the winter and, and hitting a patch of black ice. And the car just, just starts to skid. And no matter how much you pump those brakes, and how much you turn that steering wheel, nothing helps. You are utterly, utterly helpless, and all you can do is just brace for impact. It is a sickening, helpless feeling. And I have been there three years ago. I was in the ER with my little Eva, and I was cradling her in my arms because she had an infection for hours, and she was wailing, and I could do nothing to help her. I could do nothing to stop this. I could do nothing to heal her. And I wanted to so very badly, more than anything else in the world. That was the worst day of my life. I have felt that loss of control when I was slumped over the deathbed of my mom, and she had slipped into her coma, and all I could do was hold her limp hand and just pray and commend her spirit into the hands of God. In some way, just as happened with me. Illness has come into your home and has snatched your control. I know it. Illness, it, it's, it takes our identity. What was the young girl's name? Esther? Maybe. What was the woman's name? Martha? Maybe. We don't know. All they're known by is the dying girl, the dead girl, the woman subject to bleeding for 12 years. And it is the same way with us. It is, it is the man with stage 4 cancer. Oh, that's, that's the kid with ADHD. She's the one with anxiety and bipolar disorder. Sickness comes in and it steals your stability and predictability. Everything becomes contingent upon how you feel and how badly that illness is affecting you that morning. Could, could Jairus go to church? 
Could he even eat and sleep? No, not, not while his daughter was so ill. Could, could the woman wake up on any given morning? I, I guess it all depended on how bad she was bleeding that day. Work and vacations and going to the store and, and just even, even taking a trip to the post office all depends on how you're feeling that day and it's all contingent on your illness and you just ask somebody with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome or, or deep depression or anxiety or multiple sclerosis. Sickness steals your resources. This woman spent every last penny that she had just trying to get better. Just, she went broke looking for a healing. And how much is spent on therapies and on all kinds of, of remedies just in the hopes of trying to get better? Sickness comes in and robs you of hope. I mean, just sit there and let a shiver come up your spine as you hear that desperate plea on bended knee from Jairus. Jesus, please, my little girl is dying. Please, I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nowhere else to turn. See this woman just, just sobbing uncontrollably, realizing that she has no money left. She has spent it all, and all of these remedies of the doctors they have not left her better, they've left her worse. She's not gotten one lick better. She's only gotten worse. Is there a healing for me? Do you believe that when I pray to God, He will heal me, He will help me, and there will be deliverance for me? What a question. Sickness steals so much. And then, and then perhaps there is the greatest reason that this question has the ultimate urgency and importance. As tragic as it is to see a Jairus on his knees pleading for his daughter's life, as tragic as it is to see a woman on her hands and knees squeezing her hand through people's calves and feet, reaching out for the very bottom and corner of this rabbi's garment, throwing away all protocol, all etiquette, all rules of her religion just so that unclean her can touch this clean rabbi. As, as heart-wrenching as that all is, there's something beautiful about that, isn't there? There's something so, so healthy about that because while it is a desperation, it is not a desperation in Jesus. It is a last-ditch hope and confidence in him that he can help. He can help if it is his will, right? But it's just in times of trial and in times of illness when, when the illness proceeds and, and you, you've prayed with desperation, you've prayed with earnestness, but no healing comes. Not, not like you wanted, not like you expected, not like you hoped. That, that if only of the woman in our hearts becomes the why bother of the guys that came and reported the death of that daughter. Why bother the teacher anymore? She's dead. It's too late. Nothing can help. And, and so sometimes we come to the moment where we don't just accept our illnesses but repose in the confidence of Christ. Sometimes we just complain to the point of thinking, maybe there just is no help for me. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want to give me a And so illness gnaws at our faith and exposes the great sickness of us all, a metastasized sin that infects every fiber of our being. 
Is there healing for me? Is there a miracle in store for me and for you? Oh, baby, is there ever. I promise you, I promise you that there is a healing in store, that there is a life of endless vitality and energy and health and strength in store just for you because that is the promise that the Lord Jesus has embedded like, like this jewel, like the crown jewel in this holy scripture. Do you see it? Let me lead you to there. But before I do, I want you to promise me something right now. I want you guys to promise me something. That you are never, as long as you live, ever going to forget what I'm about to tell you. Do you promise me that you're going to remember these words that I'm about to sow in your hearts and that you will cling to them and clutch to them in times of wellness and in times of illness? Yes? Look at this healing of the woman again, please. She reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And we hear that, that power flows from Jesus. And, and it's, like, it's like the power that flows from the hips and the arms of, of Aaron Judge, of the Yankees, or Cabrera, of the Mets, when they hit that sweet spot on that ball, crack, home run. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Crack, home run. But, but that's not even the promise of your healing, not quite yet. So the woman is healed. And what does Jesus do? Please, everybody look at this. What does Jesus do? He turns around. He stops dead in his tracks. And he asks, who touched my clothes? And the woman falls before his feet, and she's trembling and afraid. What is the first word from Jesus' mouth? The first word, please. Daughter. That's a first. Highlight it. That's the only time in the New Testament that Jesus calls somebody that. Now let's connect the dots. Let's go back up to Jairus on his knees, pleading for his baby girl. And what does he say? My little daughter is dying. What does Jesus do? He goes with him. In other words, he stops dead in his tracks from whatever else he's doing, and he just goes with him with the intention to help her. Are you starting to see it now? Sickness and disease and illness and death have broken into your home and they've broken into mine, but no matter, because they will not harm nor they will kill or hurt on my holy mountain, says the Lord, and you are on his holy mountain. Because you see, you have broken in and stolen God's heart. In Jesus, you are his baby. You are his daughter. And Pastor Tim and I, listen to me, we know a thing or two about what it is to be a daddy 
to some daughters. And I, I, I swear to you that if one of these little children of mine, these daughters of mine, ever got sick, really sick, I would go to the ends of the earth and I would spare no expense and no energy seeking and searching to heal them. Why, you know what happens when they say things like, Daddy, can you get me that cup from the cupboard? That stops me dead in my tracks. And let alone, let alone if they were to ever call to me, Daddy, Daddy, help. Jesus loves you. He loves you like that, only more, only more. And, and, and it's so wonderful, isn't it? Because who is our daddy? He happens to be the great, great, great physician. You know what his name is? Dr. Sar Shalom, the prince of peace, the prince of wholeness, the prince of soundness, the prince of wellness. And your need and your desperate faith stop him dead in his tracks. There is a miracle for you. He lets you intrude upon him and draw from his healing, saving, life-giving power. And that means you will either be healed in this life according to your prayer, or you will be given strength to bear whatever suffering comes your way, or God will use whatever illness to scoop you up into his arms and keep you safe and sound forever with him in glory. So now what? Now what? Well, whether you are ill, whether you are well, whether your loved ones are sick or whether they are healthy, this is what? This is what? Live healthy. And by that I mean this. Heed the words that Jesus said to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe that you have the healing touch because you are the baby girl of the Most High God and you stop him dead his tracks, and he has a miracle for you. And yeah, that means that sometimes that high blood pressure, those aching joints, that stage four cancer, or whatever illness might continue and might even get worse, but that's only because Jesus is letting power flow from his body, weaving wonders out of the worst illnesses that can ever befall us. And ultimately, that means this, that the dawn will come when the Son of Mighty God will stand over his baby girl. And as she sleeps in the earth, he will touch her. And he will rouse her, and he will say, Talita, kum, kum. And just as Jairus' daughter, instantly, immediately, we will be raised imperishable, incorruptible, impervious to disease or pain or any other sickness. And just like my four little spry girls bound around outside of our home and have these deep belly laughs, you one day are going to bound around the throne of God, giggling and with these deep belly laughs to the delight of your dear Father. And in this abundant, abundant, full full, never-ending life, you know what the only thing that you're going to be missing is? Do you know what the only thing you're going to be missing is? 
a box of Kleenex. Amen.